What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for um, Drew, oh, I don't know what episode number this is. For whatever episode number this is, we are jumping into a long-awaited listener recommendation, the final novel, of course, of Daniel Polanski's Low Town trilogy. I have been waiting for this episode for a while, and we are starting now with the first half of She Who Waits and... Before we get started, a friendly reminder, of course, that if you enjoy our content on Inking Out Loud and you'd be interested in some special perks we have to offer, like listening to episodes early or recommending books for us to read and cover in the future and a whole bunch of other perks, you know, check out our Patreon at Inking Out Loud or our uh, profile, sorry, on Coffee. That's K-O-F-I. And now Drew, as I understand, must have a rather interesting, you know, recap of this first half of the final book of Polanski's trilogy here. So let's hear it. Drew, how is the first half of She Who Waits going for us? Yeah, so I believe this is going to be episode 161. Thank you. And for that, Thank you. She Who Waits, the concluding volume in Daniel Polanski's Lowtown trilogy, moves at a good clip from the start. Again, some time has passed between books, but now a new phenomenon is sweeping through Lowtown. Warden is tipped off to a tragedy in process, as one of his fairly regular customers has apparently killed his wife and attempted to kill his own daughter. Warden shows up in time to speak with the man before he kills himself and investigates the house. He finds evidence of a new drug, and that sets him off on a rapidly escalating series of revelations. The Sons of Sakra, a religious fundamentalist group, are gaining steam in the city and want to recruit Warden. A gang war is brewing between the Ashers, led by Uriel and his brother, and the Gits, a backwater gang, to say the least. And last, but certainly not least, Black House is making definitive moves on the scene. With Warden attempting to broker peace between the Ashers and the Gits, the old man summons him and convinces him to infiltrate the Sons of Sakra because his old lover Albertine is somehow involved. Interwoven with all of this are flashbacks to Warden's time in special operations, dealing with Operation Coronet, and hinting at far-reaching consequences from that time. But even Warden can't juggle all these pieces, and he begins making secret plans to leave Regis, bringing Ren, Adolphus, and Adeline with him. I'm so glad that we got Ren, Adolphus, and Adeline there. I mentioned at the very end because I was getting ready. I was getting geared up to say as soon as you finished. And almost nothing from these most important three, in my opinion. But we got that little bit at the end there. So, Yeah. Okay. Let's hit style. Let's Let's hit our style. Go ahead. I don't think I'm the only one who has this opinion. Uh, The first half of this book has all of Daniel Polanski's trademarks on full display. The voice, the wit, the sarcasm, the, the gritty yes. scene setting. Yes, yes. Uh, the kind of things we've come to expect from reading The Builders and Lowtown and A Drink Before We Die and, and Tomorrow the Killing. But ramped up. I think this is the most intense. I think this is the best handled it's been uh, in the series so far. It's... I was so much more engaged with the first half of this book than I was at basically any point in the second book. Uh, like this grabbed me immediately. Hmm. Starting off with that, the the scene of the murder. And, yeah, no, that was. Oh my gosh, that was. I really got amped up at the beginning of this, even as disturbing as it was. You know, those who who know me well enough know that I'm I'm really into that. I'm a sucker for horror. I'm a sucker for the creepy, the ominous. 
something yeah. unseen in building. And that was, that hooked me right away. So like this, the, the kids come sprinting out of his building half an hour. Like it, I love the fact that Warden in this moment was still being so stubborn as well. Like we are getting classic Warden here. You know, I'm not doing anything right now. All I want to see is this plate of eggs and then I'll see a, a beer and then I'll probably see an empty beer after that. We're getting all of these trademark Wardenisms, but then this trademark Polanski comes in and slaps you on the left side of the face there. Mommy or daddy chopped up mommy with a butcher knife and it's like, well, the ham and eggs could wait. I slid off my chair and out the front door and it's and that's how our scene ends. Then it's like, oh my, it was, a, it was an incredible opening scene. I loved it. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. And then the way the plot progresses, uh, like, man, the mystery here is so gripping. Like, there's just enough of a hint that you can vaguely picture where this is going, hmm. but not enough details yet to accurately get the whole picture. Yeah. And it involves the history of Warden at Black House. Which is... Which I've been waiting for. Which I'm really, really interested in. But at the same time, it's there's so much. I was expecting to see more at this point, more murders going forward, a little more of this central mystery taking over. Because this is also a trilogy ending story, right? Mm-hmm. But this is this seems for the, the next 15 chapters or so to have kind of been pushed to the back burner while Warden is juggling, again, all of the politics and in, in various you know plays happening inside his territory in, in, in Lowtown or that which affects his territory. And uh, I've been waiting for these t- past 10, 15 chapters to get more of these creepy murders, more of this, 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 this rising supernatural, I thought it would be a virus or a drug, and it's just, it, we've got nothing since. And I'm well, we, a little... we got hints. We, we've gotten word of more and more, more murders m- happening. Okay. We just don't get fair. them from Actually, Warden's point of view. Yes. And I think this is, this is one of those um, point of view stylistic things where because this is a first person story, a first person's perspective. And on top of that, it is, it is warden telling the story to someone mm-hmm. and to warden. So we're going to get the things that are most important immediately to warden. Albertine Arden. Than, yes. Yeah. It's like, there is a, an undue amount of, of weaving the story around Albertine uh, Arden rather than what I want myself as a reader personally. And so, I guess that's oh, kind of. I, I can't it, wait to find out more about Albert. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, and I'm hoping that she has to do with a lot of this central. Like, I'm, I'm sure she does have a lot to do with this central unfolding mystery too. But I want to go back to this virus. I want to go uh, back to this thing that's going to apparently kill all these people. And it's like, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be many pages left to cover everything that I want Polanski to cover. It's. I gotta say, uh, just in terms of a prediction or, or uh-huh. kind of a combo okay. prediction and a stylistic a thematic maybe thing that I brought up uh, on the last Tomorrow the Killing episode where I, I mentioned how we have this idea of she who waits behind all things mm-hmm. in the series. And yeah. that in the first book, she who waits was Celia. And in the second book, she who waits was Mazzy. And now in the third book, it sure seems like she who waits is Albertine. <laughs> oh boy. It's going to be interesting. And I, I'm, I'm fully, I'm still fully expecting the ending of this book to blow my mind. I oh really... yeah, oh yeah. I mean, certainly the, like, man, just the tone in the last few chapters before we left off, uh, you know, at the end of chapter twenty-two, those last few were suddenly yes, like, you feel the panic yes, where Warden's like, yeah, no, I got to get out of here, right? Like, and that's where I'm suddenly back in and I'm grounded again because I was, I was honestly myself just because of, of my. Uh, you know, taste as a subjective reader, you know, I 
this whole just like 10 chapter block here where and I have the list, you know, uh, he meets the professor, uh, he being warden, of course, and then he go he follows someone slinging breath in his territory. He goes and meets Yancey, which was touching for both oh, of them. God, that was, yeah. oof. you know, and that wasn't the first time. Uh, and then warden corners Hume, he, he meets Hume and corners him in the alley. And then, then he starts uh-huh. his whole thing of going to visit Uriel and the Ashers and then visiting the Gits and then talking about the Ashers and then he summons yeah. to visit the old man and then he goes to visit Syria, meet uh, Serial Egmont and then he goes to meet Tuisant and then he goes to meet Giscard. We get this flashback in chapter 16 and I'm like, okay, all right, flashback. This five important people in the room. That was really cool. Oh, so good. That was Such really good. good. And then we start chapter 17 after that, after we've had our breather. And on the first damn page, I see the words, good morning, officers, or something I can do for you. Oh, the, the captain was wondering <laughs> if if you ain't got nothing going, maybe you can stop by and see him. I'm just like, oh, my God. Seriously. <laughs> it started off amazingly cool. And it's also, the, like you said, these last three chapters with Adolphus, with Ren, with Yancey again, and our our... our potential goodbye with the aunt yancy these are what's bringing me back these are what's touching me down and this is what i want to see and i hope it's going to be involved centrally going forward because my patience for these last 10 chapters just in particular have been uh, has been strained you know it it is a, a valid point that you bring up here in terms of the chapter by chapter structure of this whole series the mm, vast majority of this series is Warden going to appointments. And this is exactly the same. Yeah, I've had this exact same complaint in the last book, yeah. and I think I had it in the first one. I don't know. But and the second one, I for think sure. it's I think it's kind of a necessary thing. Sure. Because Polanski's trying to write a different sort of main character. You know, like, it's so easy to write another story about a warrior, or another story about a yeah. mage, or another story about a rogue. It still feels deliberate. But he's writing a story sure. about a politician. And... And, like, what do politicians do? They go to meetings. They talk to people. Yeah. You know? And so it's sort of necessary. But I definitely understand where you're coming from in in terms of getting tired of it. Like, I, I haven't really been tired of it in this book. But there were for sure points in Tomorrow the Killing where I was like, this, this is just kind of mindlessly repetitive. Like, the yeah. beginning, the first half of Tomorrow the Killing where he he's just constantly, like, from the Earl to meeting... Crime Lord A, back to the Earl. Yeah. Crime Lord B, back to the Earl. Crime Lord C, back to the Earl. Crime Lord D, back to the Earl. Like, it was the same thing over and over and over and over again. And and that started to wear on me. And I admit, like, I'm much more interested in the overarching mystery and plot in this book. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been as uh, wearing on me. And on top of that, I think the people he's been meeting with in this book are much more interesting than a lot of the people he met with in Tomorrow the Kill. Oh, I don't know. I really, I'm still missing uh, Ling Chi. That guy was my dog, man. <laughs> well, yeah, but Ling Chi's been joking. going I'm back since around. the first book. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, trust me, I fully anticipate we're going to get some Ling Chi. I but, hope so. That'd be cool. Uh, but like the new characters, you know, when you think about back in Tomorrow the Killing, the mm-hmm. new people he was going to meet just like didn't really do much for me. Like the... Sure the psycho dude who ran the bruised fruit mob, like he just felt inconsequential. Yeah. The people he's meeting with here feel important. Like mm. even, even the uh, cap captain Ashleton, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. is how I, I, I'm actually, believe it or not, I totally forgot to mention. Oh, that's this. right. There's no audio. There is no uh, audiobook, Nor is there a a uh, Kobo version because I don't have a Kindle. I have a Kobo. Uh, I, I literally had to download it. I couldn't find it on Google Playbooks, which I normally use on my Galaxy S8. I had to get this from the only place I could find it, which was my Galaxy. The Android store had the Kindle app, and I had to get it through Kindle. That was the Whoa. only way I could get a hold of this book. That's crazy. Man, I couldn't but, believe. Uh, it. But anyway, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, so Captain Ashleton, like, even though he's, you're given to understand throughout the series that the hoax are a joke. You know, like they're they're corrupt, ineffective police force. Give me that idea. Then you meet Captain Ashleton, and he's got a gravitas to him. He's doing his job in a way that Warden even respects. You know, like, and then you get his meeting with um, uh, what is Egg- Egbert. Um, the, oh, Egmont or whatever? Or Egmont. Yeah, 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 yeah. Egbert. yeah. Uh, Egmont. And you're like, Egbert. Egbert. I like again, Egmont. He, yeah, Egbert. Um, <laughs> you can tell that I read this a week ago and then we had to delay recording for a week. Oh, yeah, I that's actually my fault. Since. I will 100% um, take uh, blame for that one. Uh, but, well, not not all your fault. You thought there was going to be an audiobook and there wasn't. True, <laughs> true. Uh, but, but so, you know, he meets him and like, Warden comes away kind of impressed where he's like, that's a dangerous guy, you know? And then, and of course, like he's meeting the old man. I'm always down for it when he's yeah, okay. The old the man. Old man. Like, yeah. I have a point. Uh, and right. the gets where you meet the gets and they're, I just don't like, care about the gets. In they're Uriel. so colorful. Colorful. And so, and then there's the one guy who's like completely different from the rest of the gets. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the real brain behind it. And because of that contrast in character, he again, carries this, this gravitas and it makes it makes all all of those interactions to me a lot more interesting than they were in in um, tomorrow the killing, hmm. where it just felt like Warden going around and talking to petty little men. Yeah, I w- speaking of you know Warden not talking to petty little men, I really wish we had gotten more of Tuisant, you know, earlier. That'd have been cool. You know, oh, yeah. That like this guy seems interesting, really interesting, and and why is it that Warden? Despite, you know, the surface of this guy, you know, cuddling cute little kitties all the time. Okay there, Lenny. But at the same time, like, why is it the warden is so terrified of him and, and calls him so, so evil? Like, there there are still yeah. all these mysteries that I feel like we're not going to get because we just, we're just meeting these people for the first time, you know? Yeah. That is a good point. Yeah, I, I can understand that as well, uh, where this feels like, at least in the pace with which... Polanski develops his city. And this goes back to a criticism I've had of the series from the get-go, where where I'm, you know, I talked about how urban fantasy really needs a strong setting. Yeah. And I didn't feel that character in the setting. Uh, I'm starting now to get that character. I feel like Lowtown oh. is a place that I know. Yes. And but that feels like the sort of thing that should have been at the beginning of the series, where all of these characters should have been people that we met. In book one. Yeah. And and then we have a whole series to get to know the conflicts and interactions and and, and all of that. And I don't know. It, it's weird. Like, on, on the one hand, it definitely has affected my reading experience. But on the other hand, I also feel like this is a deliberate choice on Polanski's part where he's like, this is Warden's story. Mm-hmm. This is not the story of all of these people in Lowtown. It's Warden's story. And so he's telling the story through a very close lens on Warden. 
And and I can see how he'd argue, well, that's a stylistic choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since you were talking about uh, Lowtown and getting a, a little bit of a different sort of or some sort of appreciation, greater appreciation for the, town, the, the setting itself. And I had that same kind of reaction in this one. Um, it, it started to occur to me as, as it, even early on, I think it was in chapter two, he's describing his role in in maintaining the little uh, the little mechanics and the little tiny gears that turn and, and make Lowtown function. I was thinking and I was dwelling. I was like, you know, it is. This dark nature, this environment, and in, in Warden's dark nature, they, they they cut. They seem to like feed off of one another. There's this feedback loop going there. I've come to consider now, maybe that Warden and Lowtown are kind of like mirrors of one another. They fit. They belong. They're ugly. They're raw. They're mistreated, and they overcompensate for it. You know, it's just he he owns Lowtown like it's a he wears it like it's a suit. You know, and it, in a way, like, where's him? It's pretty good. I'm starting to see that a little more. I'm getting more of a yeah, sense I, for that you know, now. I like that. I like that. I, I didn't think about that character parallel with Warden specifically. It's just it hitting me. Yeah, yeah, like, mm, yeah. Was, yeah. I hope yeah, it goes I like that. I like that. Um, let me see if I have any other uh, style points here. Um, I have a lot of miscellaneous points Yo, same. on this side. Um, just some... Uh, yeah, I mean, again, there were some, uh, mm, uh, this book feels a little more shoddily edited, maybe, than the first two. Hey, that may, uh, yeah. I have, I, I've noticed a lot of, a lot of, like, punctuation issues, and not just like, oh, he, he comma splices, like, yes, that's a stylistic choice, that's fine, whatever, but things where there are supposed to be commas or semicolons and there aren't mm. um like i i noted a lot of them and and many many places that uh i'm just completely focusing on places that where i think there should be a semicolon and there's still another comma and i'm just like oh yeah yeah but i haven't you noticed know, where, these places like where not having missing. a comma maybe it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence but it it certainly makes you stumble because it mm. It breaks up the rhythm, yeah, yeah, or or it messes with the natural rhythm of the yeah. sentence. Like, uh, like I had this one. Uh, the waiter, a smiling Chiron in Western garb, stopped quickly by the table. So there's the waiter, comma, a smiling Chiron in Western garb. There should be another comma after garb. Yeah, there but is, instead yeah. this reads like the waiter, and then it just leaves the waiter behind and says a smiling Chiron and Western <laughs> <laughs> and when we begin yeah, a new so subject like that yeah. where it's this isn't a comma splice issue where there should have been a semicolon or a, a connecting word uh it's just a dropped comma you know uh, and there are a lot of these um huh. yeah See, speaking of, of of editing like there there was this moment in chapter seven i wrote i wrote it down in case it came up that was a little jarring to me and this has to deal with um exposition warden is he corners hume for the first time and this is after he hires knocker to follow and, and lead hume and waits in the alley for hume to show up and then as we first meet hume warden or maybe polanski through warden i should say i'll say polanski goes off for like two pages of exposition at least in my ebook it was two whole pages of exposition about the sons of sakura and setting the stage for the sons of sakura but then suddenly and without warning we're smack in the middle of the dialogue again i'm like i'm going what oh oh that's right we're in we're in the middle of something tense here that's right that was just wow that was a lot of exposition i thought it was suddenly in a different chapter or something like that it was a little jarring there was just a little too much 
of that, mm, I don't know, wall of text there. I kind of forgot that I was in the middle of something tech, uh, tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Little things so like that. I have, um, speaking of Hume. Hume, yes. Uh, this was a, a case of, mm, I'm going to say like a, a failed expectation, but just it was something that I wondered as soon as I read his name. So there's a famous philosopher yeah. named Hume. Yeah. <laughs> I had a shop teacher named Hume. We used to tease him about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. David Hume, he's a, he's a Scottish philosopher and he, his whole thing, you know, is, is kind of about um, the, see if, see if I can like put this in good words off the top of my head. Uh, he, he didn't believe that like, innate rationality is a thing that like inductive reasoning is a purely human, like, like he wanted a, uh, like a human centric view of like natural science and, and psychology where like everything that we think about is, is created by us essentially. That's a super reductive, like don't, don't like jump down my throat on this. I know it's a lot more complicated than that, but uh, so I was expecting there to be some parallel in what the sons of Sakura wanted based on that. And on I, Hume's name? Yeah, yeah. And and I, at least so far, I don't really see that. <laughs> um, okay, interesting. But I, it was just, it was one of those things where I was like, that, that seems like a really specific name to give to a guy here. <laughs> and and it, and I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm but, glad I have you to pick up on that's this. That's just things. me being weird. <laughs> nah, that could be insightful. It's it's only weird when we don't know if it's true or not, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be insightful later, and we'll be going, Drew, you did it again, you sly dog. No, but um, yeah, I think I'm through all of my um, style discussion points here. I'm ready to go on to rewarding himself as a character, if you would like to. Yes. Okay. Yes, let's do it. So he's uh, he's sworn off breath. That was the first note i had written down about yeah. war and i was like whoa dude and it apparently it's been years so probably like since the last book and i'm like damn that is actually a nice change was not expecting it yeah i did get that impression that the the heavy use of breath in the last book was what yeah because there were there were points where both adolphus and adeline remarked on his uh like how much breath he was going through and and how he was like getting constant bloody noses by the end of that book mm-hmm. and like and, and so I really think it was that that kind of set him on a, if not the straight and narrow, the straighter and narrower. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, but I, but I liked, you know, in fact, this was going to be a, this was going to be a miscellaneous point, but this uh, pertains directly to this. I've heard people speak of themselves as addicted to reading, but I think those people never stole from their family so they could afford this month's cereal or sucked off a sailor for a new book of short stories. I was like, dang, Polanski. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pull your punches, huh? <laughs> like, that is a colorful oof. way to put that, but yeah, sure. I was grinning through that one. Thanks. I like that. I appreciated it. Yeah, but like we see even years later, he still has cravings for breath, you know? Yeah. And he understands. Yeah. Um, I talked about my, my point here on Warden and Lowtown. Um, oh, I was 
<laughs> I was really disappointed. I guess it see it really fits in with Warden himself just being petty and being a dickhead. But the way he um forgive the expression, but cock blocks uh, brother Hume. You know the the young yeah, girl yeah. is clearly like oh sighing after gosh, him. Yes, oh of course, you know, gosh. still leaving Sarah and the children back in the provinces to come here oh. to support the cause. You know, she's what like, a what's hero. that? Oh, you know, his wife, of course, and the mother of his five. Son- Wait, no, six sons. It's just like, bruh, <laughs> yeah. Warden, why? What, dude? I don't know. Oh my god, it was funny, brutal, but it, it, it's what? it's very very Warden. It is very Warden. It sets him it as a character warden. right there. It's just like. Just, just a reminder, like even, even if Warden is slowly growing as a person, and, and maybe in it's some ways so becoming petty. a better person, why he's still a terrible person? <laughs> like he's you a don't... jerk. Like uh, he's still abusing Ren. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop with Ren. Where uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can save that for talking about Ren. Yeah, yeah. he's my next character, but it's nothing to do with this because I have that save for thing too for. Uh, I, I have a couple of things uh, on that note, but but with Warden, um, Albertine, man, we yes. get to like really see the presence of her her kind of specter in his life here. He's been so vague about what caused his break with Black House. You would just you'd think we'd have had the name once, Albertine. Just I don't think we did. Slipped it in. You would just think we, that's my point. Is like you would think we would have had it at some point in the series. I bit. I don't want to bitch too much. I do like this book so far, even though it's, it's been there. But Albertine, I was like, it's really cool. I love the potential, the the, the fertile ground, this narrative ground for this mystery. Delicious. P- Polanski's nailing the, the atmosphere around her imminent arrival. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like it would have been even better if we had had her name once per book before this. That would just been cool. Really so cool. this is a a another prime opportunity for me to draw a parallel with Scott Lynch and the Gentleman. Okay, <laughs> hey, go uh, for it. If he had had Albertine named right and right, okay. present in Warden's mind throughout all three books, this is some straight Sabbatha vibes. Yeah, okay. Like, I hadn't considered that, but but that was the immediate thing where like. I, I don't want to get into spoilers <laughs> for the Gentleman Bastards for several reasons. Uh, obviously, we're not talking about the Gentleman Bastards. I haven't read books two or three. Read anyway, the, so. Yeah, the second and third books. But just the name Sabatha is a massive trigger for Locke, where even when he's being his most stubborn, the name Sabatha can make him turn on a dime. And here we see Albertine's name work the same way with Warden. Yeah. Like, it, it really feels... Yeah, it really feels like this should have been a longer series. Lowtown should have been a longer series. Like, we could have gotten... Nah, I'm saying this before we've even finished the third book, so maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll eat crow on that one. But uh, it, it really feels to me like there's so many things going on around Warden that we just kind of touch on and leave behind. Touch on and leave behind. Touch on and leave behind. And... And then there's only like one or two big things per book that we focus on. Now, Albertine is definitely one of those two big things because mm-hmm. the way he's set up the structure of these with the flashbacks and then the um, uh, the, the quote-unquote current timeline. You can't even really call them flashbacks or current timeline because this is Warden just telling his story, but there's further backs. Yep, yeah. <laughs> um, those are always directly tied with the main current timeline plot. You know, where where in book one the flashbacks were to 
uh, warden meeting huh. Celia on the streets in the wake of the plague, things like that. Yeah. And then in book two, they're, they're flashbacks to his time in the army and meeting Adolphus. And here, they're flashbacks to what appears to be the end of his time at Black House and whatever happened with Albertine. And, and so it's like, yeah, the, these are in the, the current timeline, those two things are coming to a head again, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a really elegant structure, uh, self-contained in each one of these books, but it does make me wish we could have gotten more long-term development for some of these things. Like, not saying I want a 14 book, you know, Wheel of Time-esque hmm, sure. Motown series, but if this were a five or six book series where, you know, each book could have been, again, sort of self-contained mystery, but with some of these past things in Warden's life slowly building over a longer time, uh, I feel like if we were, if this was book six, and we were halfway through book six and Albertine's about to show up, we'd be freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, we've been waiting so long to see what actually went down with Albertine. I don't know. I think you I'd know, be irritated kind of with the mystery by then, just like I am with some other things in other... Actually, I'm not going to go into those other things in other series, but... I mean, it, it depends on how we... It's just me. That would be just a me thing. That it. would be a Rob Santos thing. I want to make that very clear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything else about Warden or shall we move to Ren? Yeah, I've only got I one. have like a... Okay, go. Just to talk, no, sorry, not on Warden, just on Ren. I have a tiny little thing because I actually kind of want to save Ren for my predictions as well. But I just like this chapter two description of Ren's abilities. It's really cool. In the long gestation prior to their birth, the Davas had reached down inside them and kindled a spark which remained dormant in the rest of us, which allowed them to will into existence things wondrous and horrifying. That's cool. That's Polanski shining right there. That's a damn neat description of something that's been very nebulous and vague until now. And still is, I suppose, but still appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ren? Okay, so this is a kind of a bridge between Warden and Ren, uh, where I brought up really how like, Ooh, Warden is still first. abusive Sorry. to Ren. Go ahead. We've reached a point where Ren is physically larger No, he's just taller. Warden. He's just taller. Like, he's... he's approaching like the prime of his adult life you know physical physical prime sure you know sure you're, you're early to middle 20s and ren he doesn't know exactly how old he is but he's like at least 18 or 19 at this point um but warden is still physically abusing him and then in chapter 22 we get this scene with yancey yeah how you've been handling yourself rammer ain't nothing to it yancey answered you here to protect him from mom? I protect him from everything, Ren said, puffing out his chest dramatically. If it wasn't for me, he'd get knifed on the way to the outhouse. That's played as a joke, but I think that is more true than Warden knows. Uh -oh. I, think, I think Ren has been actively using his powers for some time now, protecting Warden's back. Ooh, that's interesting. Oh. And Warden is going to push him soon with the abuse over a line and he's gonna and he's gonna betray warden oh. before he can escape the city betrayals betrayals yeah. are definitely imminent we know that how many like, is a look, good question the other shoe has to drop yes. like i'm sorry if, yes. if there isn't 
if, if this narrative fulfillment doesn't happen in the second half of this book, I will criticize the shit out of this. <laughs> well, come on. You have like, to see it, what Polanski does instead. I see what you're saying. Though. There, I've been, calls there have like been that all so time. many hints. There have been so many I'm a hypocrite. subtle I'm right buildups yeah. to show the potential for a wedge being driven between Ren and Warden by Warden himself through his own doing throughout these books. That if, if, that if that gun doesn't come down off the mantle in Act Three, I'm going to be very disappointed. Yeah, yeah, I, ah, I'm still waiting for this. I, by now, I was ex- fully expecting. By now, Ren is full dark, full dark side, and Warden's like going to have to put him down. That's where I thought Book Three was going to go. I this is this other thing is something that's I don't, I'm not into yet, but I'm willing to see what Polanski does with it. I like the idea of of Ren, you know being a little more of a protector to Warden than Warden's aware of. And I really, really am into the idea, of course, of Ren finally fighting back and, you know, standing up for himself. Yeah. So, yeah. Warden has it coming. He's got it coming. He's he been, does. He's been asking for it for so long, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Adolphus? I don't really have anything on Adolphus, yeah, to be it's honest. It's just that last scene, really, that I had written down yeah. to talk about that. with It was just... After I had been... Like, I was loosely complaining about earlier, you know, losing patience around the one-third mark of this book, meeting after meeting after meeting. I won't go over it again, but Polanski gave me... I want to give him credit for giving me that taste of ground once more, you know? Adolphus and the Earl. The reason for all of it. These these heartbreaking exchanges at the, at the heart of everything, you know, mixed with the laughs. It's still warm. It's still hopeful at times. There's this moment in particular that I want to focus on where Adolphus is starting to lay into, to really lay into that whiskey bottle, the expensive one. And Warden takes this introspective moment. And I have the quote here. I didn't say anything, but it hurt my heart to see him absentmindedly putting away. And then my ebook had to flip to the next page. So I flipped to the next page thinking, oh, this is, that's wholesome, Warden, being afraid for your friend like that. But then it continues with putting away the whiskey that had cost me a full jar of Davis honey. I was like, Cadet. okay, <laughs> all right. All right, yeah. Warden. I almost had hope for a second there. It was pretty funny. But on like with Adolphus, the reason I have to suspect something like that is happening is because of this chemistry between these two. It still hasn't changed. And I'm just, it feels like an ending is is, is nigh. And that may or may not be tied oh, with yeah. Ren and this reckoning that Warden has. And I don't know, but Adolphus mm-hmm. is still breaking my heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Do you have any I, other characters to talk about? Um, just, just interaction with Crowley and Warden losing his touch here. You know, uh-huh. I, I don't think, like, obviously Warden is supposed to be losing his touch here. That's intentional on Polanski's part. But I think yes. Polanski's kind of fumbling this interaction a little bit, too. And I'm going to make this clear. I get Warden is supposed to lose this this kind of verbal exchange here. But this attempt at verbal sparring is just so bilar, uh, faux bilar, I can't speak, so far below. Oh, my God. Even Warden's standard that it just it felt a little heavy-handed on the author's part. Like, there's this, like, it keeps going back to the same thing. Oh, well, I cut your face up. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen your face, though? No, seriously, though. It's almost as bad as your face looks. By the way, remember the time I cut up your face? Like, I counted. It was four times that Warden had nothing and just had to default to the petty insult, the low-hanging fruit. Four times in the minute of a three-minute conversation. I was like, that seems even below him. It's just, But then he's also, that could have still been, like, excusable for me, if not for this thought as soon as Warden leaves Crowley. He's like, you know, I'd gotten off a zinger or two if I had said so myself. And I'm like, did, did you go warden? Did you really? You know, I was just like, that was really lame. I, I was just, I don't know. 
it was like seeing a, a master footballer suddenly stumble all over himself, and it was really awkward, and I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm done I character. Have a miscellaneous point. Yes, then, I'm in my miscellaneous from that scene. Dart us. Oh, go for you're it. Talking about Polanski kind of fumbling the bag in that scene. <laughs> Potentially, I don't know if it's intentional. But go ahead. Crowley was a man of ravenous appetites. He could eat a whole duck in a sitting, down a quart of vodka, and walk off steady. He brought his mug of coffee up to the hole in his face, and when he set it back down, it was all but empty. A couple paragraphs later, the hand holding his glass tensed, and then there were shards of glass on my lapel and blood running under wood. He was just holding a mug of coffee, and now he's got like a glass of wine that he breaks. Uh, And there's a a similar... How do you um, pick up on that, Drew McCaffrey? A similar mistake, because I've been beta reading for Brandon Sanderson. I guess you're saying, yeah, same answer to my same question constantly. Keep going. Uh, 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 That scene earlier uh, that you talked about with Adolphus, that is such a good scene. I'm not talking about vice, Adolphus. I'm talking about sin. You forget where we met each other, he said, and I could feel the weight of his eyes pulling at mine. How many eyes does Adolphus have? Oh, boy. Ah. Perhaps he can feel the weight of the covered eye. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm reaching here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, there there were a few of these where oh, I was interesting. like, yeah, it's a... Uh... Like, I mean, look, I'm going to be fair. Like, this is the kind of stuff I was calling Butcher out for in, in Peace Talk. Yes, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Ground where, like, he, fair. he was inconsistent within one scene. Even if I like the Lowtown books more than the Dresden books, I'm still going to call this out. Like, if this is the kind of reader I am, right? Like, yeah, yeah. If I see a, <laughs> if I see a consistency issue. I'll do that same thing with, you know, science on occasion, but mine's a little more obnoxious. Yeah, like, it's, uh, there, there are a few, like, it, like I said, this goes back to, I, I think this was just like a little less well edited. Maybe there was a shorter less lead well. time. Maybe there were budget cuts uh, sure. for hey, the final no book, book because it wasn't selling yeah. well. And that's why there's no audio version or the, the ebook versions are so more uh, so much more limited. Like it, it just feels like this episode or episode, this book didn't get the care that the first two books did uh, from a production standpoint. Production speaking, yes. But from a writing it's yeah no i it's i think this pretty, is yeah through through the 50 percent mark you know it feels of like to each of the three books this is my favorite through 50%. it feels like a boring book written by an excellent author <laughs> so far for me just oh, I don't think it's for just for the meetings boring. part for the meetings part which unfortunately the meetings are like 75 percent of this book but that's it's just me that's rob santos um miscellaneous miscellaneous i have a, just yeah. a bunch of wardenisms written down that i just really love where he shines you know like for example in the beginning he owns iron town like i own the leather in my shoes and a fly don't land on a fresh turd without him hearing about it mm-hmm. little colorful ones like that miscellaneous you say you still have more so, throw some oh yeah, yeah yeah uh i got again warden's just colorful <laughs> um phrasing like just the the elegance with which he will describe things Uriel was clean-looking and pretty, the sort of person to whom you'd extend credit. He wasn't tall, but he had the broad stature common to his people, the kind that let you know there was more there than you could see. He wore a snow-white suit, and his smile wasn't half a shade darker. His hands were red, but you couldn't see it looking Mm. at him. That's great. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. 
Um, this moment of describing Ren in chapter two, you know, his most recent growth spurt had stretched him a few inches past my own six feet, a humiliation only partly assuaged by the fact that his mustache were as a scale was a scraggly brown line that I often considered shaving while he slept. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what, just as, as an aside, I, I work in a welding shop where unfortunately we have a lot of 18, 19, 20 year old dudes who think they could grow a mustache. I was one of those dudes when I was 18, 19. It's just like, dude, that's like, you have like nine hairs above your lip and they're all two inches long. Just shave it. I'm sorry. There was ever a point in your life where you couldn't grow facial hair? Yeah. Oh yeah. Believe it or not. I mean, you know, before like 15, for example. (laughs) Well, (laughs) but uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) It just, like that gave me a good chuckle. You got the the heritage for facial hair. I do. (laughs) I do. I'm I'm 75% Portuguese and 25% Ukrainian. So yeah. yeah. But um, Um, chapter 11 or 12 on the walls were a series of paintings depicting the Duke in various elaborate situations. The Duke on a battlefield, the Duke at a hunt, the Duke overlooking his lands, the Duke on the shitter. I made up that last one. Yeah. And it goes on. There are various things in the room here. <laughs> that just that 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 monotone delivery is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, my my last kind of not my last miscellaneous, but my last just great line that stood out to me. So I could have told Christian something about Lowtown. Could have told all of them. She is a hateful bitch, without loyalty, yes. without affection, ever eager to turn against your hand. To possess her is to take a wolf to bed. And to forget that fact is to be lost. Yeah. Was that directly after the, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I think, you know what? I'm going to save this for my, I think I have the paragraph immediately preceding that as my, one of my favorite scenes for when we talk about it in the next episode. So I'm actually going to leave it there if it's the scene okay. I think it is. So it's the very end of chapter 20. I, I think it is. Um, let's see here. I kind of like, I don't want to say, I, I kind of like, um, um, uh, Jesus Christ. I remember his name. I don't remember his brother's name, but the Asher, uh, Asher's brother, Koholith. Oh yeah. Koholith. Hey, he's a Koholith. Thank you. He's just, he's, <laughs> he's got nothing to hide this guy. He doesn't like warden and he's totally fine with expressing it at every available <laughs> opportunity. Everything he says to the warden is totally deserved. And I like seeing someone tell him so straight up, fuck the gits. And while we're at it, fuck you. It's kind of like the hound. I like him. Oh, yeah, I could see that comparison. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I got a couple more. So, Any others on yours? I have. This is my last one. Okay. Um, going back to that Crowley scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is something I, I you know, I call like kind of a Hemingwayism uh, for, for those who are familiar with Hemingway's style. He doesn't like using speaker tags. And Polanski has a, a similarly sparse, uh, concise style when it comes to dialogue. He loves these short, kind of popping sentences. Yeah. And and it, it comes off as very natural. You know, like it's good. It's well-written dialogue. It's realistic. It, it carries the voices of the characters through. But in this scene, he does it a lot, where there's, there are, like, multiple, like, like seven, eight, nine, uh, paragraphs of dialogue in a row without any speaker tags but there are some interspersed in between those paragraphs there will be a full paragraph of narration yeah and there was one point where we had let's see one two three four five straight chunks of dialogue with no speaker tags which is about my fill i don't like it to go and then a 
And then a paragraph, you know, so it goes, I understand that as a government employee, you're full up on empty time, but I've got a lot on my plate at the moment. So if we could skip ahead to the reason you're here, obviously that's warden. You know, you busy? I am busy. I'm extremely busy. I just said I was busy. Frankly, I'm too busy to be repeating myself. Still running drugs? Still asking dumb questions? You know, and it's just like through those, there are no speaker tags, but yeah. you know who's talking, right? Like you both in, in context clues, in what they're saying, and in the, the snappiness, you understand which one's worth I know up until like five or six comments. If it goes like past five, then I sometimes I'll have to backtrack and count, you know? So then it goes from there to he sort of laughed, not at what I was saying, but at the situation. Despite my urgings, he seemed very little inclined towards hurry or indeed motion, period. <laughs> And then, if I was you, and daily I think the firstborn that I'm not, I wouldn't make a point of trying to run into me. I'd think it would dredge up bitter memories, like running into an old girlfriend. If old girlfriend had left you for dead in an alleyway. And so, by the end of that, it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is Warden talking, but again, there's no speaker tag. And then, then there are three more paragraphs of no speaker tags. Mm-hmm of dialogue and the way it starts, this is right after a paragraph of description of Crowley. Yeah. Which I love. And by so the way, I was later. reading that and I'm like, wait, is this Crowley talking or is this Warden talking? Right. Like, I does... think the, if your girlfriend had left you for dead in an alleyway is like, I think that's supposed yeah. to be <clears throat> is Warden the... referring to what happened in the first book, but yeah. Warden didn't leave him for dead in is an alleyway. He let him go. Is the subject of you the know? exposition maintained as we go into the next paragraph? Yeah. And, <laughs> or is yeah, it still... and, then, yeah. and then the rest of it could equally apply to either of them. You know, like Leaving if I was you and daily, I think the firstborn that I'm not like, I wouldn't make a point of trying to run into me. Like that's absolutely something Crowley would say to Warden. Like, cause Crowley thinks he's a like a big badass who has this giant hate was, on for Warden and like and and so like and then meanwhile Warden of course has a massive ego and and has already beaten Crowley once. Uh but like so this is one of those situations where taking that Hemingway approach to dialogue can hurt you. You know, it's it's not necessary for you to always include speaker tags. Hmm. Uh, and and in fact I would encourage writers not to do that. Uh like you don't need I hate it. having to he said she find said, ways to said, she said var- and, yeah exactly yeah to vary that. uh and and as you get better at writing dialogue as it starts to flow more naturally you'll realize certain points where it works better it, it flows better it packs more punch if you just have dialogue no exposition no speaker tags nothing hmm. but like you can overdo it and if you overdo it in certain ways you can confuse your readers yeah i get confused at times like i said if, I, if it goes past four or five for me i'll have to go back and well, wait a second but with on, on this exact particular instance i had realized in that moment i was main i was you know still cognizant of the fact that it was crowley that had crowley that had sought out this exchange so this would clearly have been warden there i didn't have any problem with that particular one but i all the time have to go back and count and do still get lost after four or five dialogue exchanges without a speaker tag on them. So so this is a frequent problem that I have, and it's happening in this book for sure. And I'll point out, this is nowhere near as bad as Hemingway at his worst, where (laughs) he'll have a conversation among like five different people with no speaker tags, and you're like, I don't know who's saying what. Apparently not long enough. 
go read the sun also rises and then tell me that you yeah. you know who's saying what in okay. some of those scenes like <laughs> um, um but but yeah so that that was my last miscellaneous well, point you were just um, talking about this paragraph actually that that was before this describing crowley's face I think it was Crowley's face. Uh-huh. This this little offhand detail again, another Wardenism. You know, children wept and moaned, pregnant women miscarried. Yeah. You, get, you get the idea. <laughs> I love it. It's funny. It's not obviously miscarriage is not funny as a subject, but from Warden and his filter and how he just treats it in such an offhand manner to describe something mm-hmm. like someone else's face is, you know, pretty funny in context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and and like even from that quote that I you know brought up with the mug versus the wine glass thing, like. The way he describes him drinking the coffee, he brought it up to the hole in his, his face. face. Yes, like, <laughs> like what a denigrating. I've, I've used that one a few times on with my. <laughs> I use that with my buddies on PUBG sometimes. I was like, what did you just say out of that hole that came out of your face? What is, like, I've actually used that one quite often. I'd love seeing that. It was nice. And so I think it's a, a yeah. more of an internetism. I think that one uh, is yeah. Polanski being a little hip, and I like it. It was a lot of fun. Although I definitely don't want to see anybody dabbing. Let's get that very clear. <laughs> Um, I don't see. think that's something we have to worry about. No, <laughs> I will protest if we had to. Um, oh, I had briefly mentioned, I think, the old man earlier. I just there's this moment in chapter mm. sixteen mm-hmm. that I really, really liked. I found it was good. And uh, another another quote, you know, surprise, surprise. Actually, this accounted for perhaps sixty or seventy percent of our time in these things. One of the many facets of the old man's genius was that he operated absolutely without ego. So long as his decision was ultimately carried out, he cared very little for who received the credit. This, that right there, that more than anything before this really kind of instilled the weight to the old man that I think Polanski wants his character to have because now he feels more, even he feels even colder. He feels even more dispassionate. And so with everything that he represents, it's just like, ooh, that, that was just another one of those moments where I have to stop and go, damn, Polanski, that was nice. Yes. And on top of that, uh, for me, when I read that, it made me wonder how much of Guiscard, how much of Crowley is not really them, but it's the old man manipulating them into doing things that seem to be outside their purview as operatives in Black I hadn't even considered that, man. Hmm. How much of Warden? How How much was Warden manipulated? To leave Black House and take over Lowtown. Well, I don't know how Was much. Was he manipulated? Is this entirely his choice? Albert T. is you know? involved in this. That's what I want to know. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Where Where is the old man's hand in all of this? Deep questions, dangerous questions, my friend. Like I really, I really think the old man is a, a spectacular character, like almost mythical. Uh, in a very different way, but he reminds me of Mylkoff in terms of just the awe you have for his effectiveness. Yes, that's true. His ability to influence things on scale in such a profound way. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, Predictions? Should we just go into like formal predictions? Anything else you want to talk about? Because I still have a couple, I think. Uh, go for it. Okay, so we find out, unless we missed it earlier in the series, and I missed it somehow, but there is some sort of magical price to this, uh, uh, to Warden losing his crown's eye from when he was in the service. Um, oh, yeah. Apparently, yeah, yeah. and I quote, 
At first, there was a flash of pain like I couldn't imagine, and I've been stabbed before. There was nothing. No, sorry. Then there was nothing. Not nothing. The absence of something. A void I could feel around the edges for months after. I still thought about it sometimes. Does this not sound yes. like a man who just lost a piece or his just his soul or yeah. something? You know, and considering the kind of person he's been recently, his particular morality or frequent lack thereof, I think this may just may be involved with Warden's um, hmm, fatalistic or nihilistic or just pessimistic view on many things. Ooh, I think I there's like something that. going on with his soul. Uh, the thing that I I thought of after that, you know, after that having kind of the same reaction with, as you did there, but it reminded me, he took Crispin's eye. Right. Do you recall anything ever coming of that? Like, did he, I, I know he Didn't used it, it uh... once, but I don't remember ever hearing about it again. And I don't think it was like destroyed or anything. I think it was mentioned though. I don't remember what, it, what the context was, though. I, I think I think I remember. I'm like 30% sure I remember a, a reference to it last book, and I thought, oh, there it is, and then it went away again. Yeah, but like, I'm not certain. Is this another thing that went into his, like, black case under the bed, mm. you know, where he keeps his, his post-war artifacts? Oh, I forgot about that. Dang. Huh. Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. Okay. We're casting. I don't, I'm, I'm going to cast a wide net with this next one. A really wide net. <laughs> Okay. Did you notice that um, in his last exchange with Uriel for the in, in the last in the first half of the book, I think this is chapter nineteen. Warden notices that Uriel is not or doesn't seem to be drinking from his own cup. Uh huh. I thought he was trying to poison Warden at first. You know, Warden drinks it, and he wouldn't be dumb enough to drink poison, so I kind of dismissed that. But there is this like still in the wings, this magical, mysterious, dark contagion or drug that that may or may not be involved with one another. And I just, I can't imagine what connection we'd be having here. I don't know. I just, Uriel was not drinking from his own cup and that made me sus. Very sus. Yeah. And there was like a suspicious amount of time spent on Warden noting yeah. that he wasn't drinking from his own cup. Yeah. I don't know. So I have one. Go for it. Hell yeah. And this pertains to the overall narrative structure of these books. Well, I've noted this is, Apparently, Warden telling this story to somebody. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of this book, Warden is going to end up telling this to Albertine. Interesting. And that's why we haven't been getting mentions of Albertine throughout it. And what is it that she waits for? <laughs> she who waits. Maybe she waits for this story. No, I'm just throwing another so wide I, net there. And I'm less certain of this. I mean, I'm not 100% certain of that, but uh, I I think that fits. Um, but on top of that, I think I think she's going to kill Warden at the end of the book. This book's going to end with Ooh, him. I would like to see Warden kid. die. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Uh, I, I think he's going to, you know, whatever, save the city, save Lowtown from whatever chaos is is erupting, but he himself is going to die. I'm not sure about Adolphus and Adeline. They feel like they have gonna die marked all over them, yeah, but that's I'm not totally sure of that. Part of my last prediction, yeah. I I, I don't think Warden's going to succeed in leaving Lowtown. 
Adolphus, Ren, Adeline? Might. I think of those last three, Adolphus, Ren, Adeline, I think two of them will escape Lowtown. I don't know which two it's going to be, but two mm, of them. Okay. That's my prediction. Okay. My final prediction. Um, hmm. I have learned a few new words. Mm. I learned four of them. Sagacity. Mm. I'm hoping it's sagacity, not sagacity. sagacity. Is it sagacity? sagacity. But it isn't the root yeah. sage, as in like sage advice, wisdom, wise. Yes. Sagacity. I, sagacity. I believe it is pronounced sagacity. Yeah, actually, no, I th- actually, after having repeated it a few times, now I'm starting to like sagacity a little more. Anyway, I, I trust you. Having or showing keen mental discernment or judgment is nice. Bucolic, B-U-C-O-L-I-C, relating yeah, to the bucolic. pleasant aspects of the countryside yeah. and country life. Yeah. My, perhaps my favorite this week, antediluvian or antediluvian. Before the flood. Of or belonging to the time before the biblical flood. Capitonyms there. And finally, pecuniary, relating to or consisting of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned those four words this week, and I always stop to make sure I mention that when I do. That Great is it for me all. this week. Yeah, I know. There were a few where I was like, hang on. No, actually, I did learn this one recently. There was actually one that I brought up and I was like, no, wait a second. I have brought this one up before. And I almost just <laughs> went and repeated myself. I forget what that was. But yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's been a good time. Yes. Next book is. Yeah, I think we're going to I think we're going to have to make just a whole segment in our regular structure for the Gene Wolf books about like. Yes. Yeah, like where with the Wheel of Time we did like lore, and with with the Stormlight we did like a big Cosmere theory discussion segment with with Gene Wolf. It's going to be a what ridiculous words are there this week? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, do you have any more predictions? Mm, no, no, I don't at the moment. Nope. Cool. Well, let's head into the final draft then yeah. and wrap this thing up. Yeah, yeah. I have been drinking just a simple coffee. Once again, I've been foregoing the uh, the alcohol, especially because I'm, I'm actually for these past few days and for the next few days, I'm expecting a oh, I'm hoping for uh, a phone call. And it's a phone call that's going to be really important. And I definitely don't want to have any kind of kind of intoxication for. So I've just been pretty sober for these past few days and probably will continue for a little while. Uh, it's nice. about a job opportunity. So I am hoping to get it. But um, Heck yeah. Yeah, I've just been drinking some responsible coffee. Well, not really responsible. It's 9 p.m., but a responsible coffee for me with a little bit of sugar. I should say sweetener. Not, it's not actually sugar. How about yeah. you? You are bringing something to make up for my coffee, I assure everyone. Right? I am. Oh, good. So I'm holding a can of Rye India Pale Ale from Level Crossing Brewing Company. Rye India Pale Ale. In okay. uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Um. Shout out to Craig from the Legendarium. He was out visiting last weekend. Hey, and he, uh, yeah, he brought a, a bunch of stuff for for my wife and me. And uh, yeah, this guy. this one, you know, it, it fits for the first half of this book, but really, it fits for like any episode I could have done for all of Lowtown because this is like all Warden is doing. And in fact, I believe Rob, you even. Uh, mentioned this particular phrase in a previous i think lowtown 2 maybe really okay uh this beer is called suss it out <laughs> it sounds like something i would have said yeah i did just say i was sus in this episode but all right sussing out i think is something i very specifically yeah. said very recently 
Yeah, huh. that that warden warden uses that. Yeah, that warden used that again, right? Just mm-hmm. like in this episode. Okay, huh? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then I made a dab so, joke, but anyway, yeah. And now I just have pressure on me to uh, you know to find something suitably epic for whatever the the end of Lowtown. Yeah, I'm going to try and bring something good for that too, because this is something that I still expect is going to blow me away, despite the fact that I haven't been too enthused with like a lot of the the methods of the storytelling just or you should say the subject the the, the politicking it's still polanski polanski's i on a, on just on a wordsmithing level is still just so damn good it's worth reading it just for that even if i wasn't having any fun which i still am in many cases i'm looking forward to the next one it's going to be a cool uh ending of a trilogy i feel and it, i gotta say you know like, you know how there those things pop every every once in a while of like what two authors would you wish collaborated on a, a sci-fi story or fantasy story or whatever? Yeah. Polanski and Brandon Sanderson would make an awesome team. Like mm. Brandon plots the story and, and like the action scenes Mold. and stuff, and like the spectacle. Yes. And then Polanski writes the, the actual prose and the characters and the dialogue. Mm. Like I could see that being a, a powerhouse. I would love to see that. And I would love to see Bennett take a whack at that too. Yeah. Bennett and Polanski would be great together mm. and Bennett and, and Brandon would be great together. Yeah. Uh, I think Bennett in, in a lot of ways is kind of that middle ground between the two. He's like guys. MSG. He goes, a, he goes really good with everything. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Unless you have anything. more. Oh, I forgot to mention this, is a stupid little aesthetic thing. Like this might be with editing again too. the ebook in my, in my galaxy essay in the Kindle version has these random underlining uh, underlinings, underlinings, pardon me. These very subtle pale dots are hard to see when you notice them. Uh, they will... It's a Kindle thing. Is it a Kindle so thing? That is, that is telling you, um, popular highlights. Lots ah. of other people have highlighted those lines. Bro, because was this is my first episode using highlights on Kindle, on the app, on my mm-hmm. phone to actually, that's how I went through and did all my notes for this one. That's interesting. You just blew my yep. mind. Thank you, Drew. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I think that brings us to the end of, what that, did I say? Episode that does. 160, 161, you had 162, said. 161. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. End of 161 of Inking Out Loud. Next up, we are going to be heading right on into the end of Lowtown, the end of She Who Waits. Uh, we are super excited for that. As always, check us out on Patreon if you want to support the show. That's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud or on coffee, ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. You do a one-time donation there. That's more your speed. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.